Well, you just told me something funny is happening with you. So what? No, no, happening? I was just saying I'm late again. You know, of course you are. And th- th- this is the expectation. And I wanted. To, I don't know if you guys know this because you never see me. I'm not a morning person at all. I was asleep twenty five minutes up? ago. Oh my god! I, and, and not only <laughs> that, I've, but, I've been literally. I've been prepping for this podcast literally since I woke up. I woke up at seven a.m. Didn't work out. This uh, was the fastest turban tie and beard I've ever <laughs> I've ever had to put together. And that's where you're supposed to say it looks really good. It does. It Thank look you. looks great. Thank you. I, honestly, you should have had a Gin- Guinness World Record, uh, like uh, official speed. judge by you. Yeah, I like. I'd be still sleeping right now, but my wife came in at eight oh seven into my into our room, and she's like, uh, "The water guy, like the water heater guy, is here. Like he's gonna turn off the water. You know, <laughs> so you have to get up and take a shower right now. And if oh she hadn't done that, I'd still be sleeping." What's up, everyone? I'm Alex Lieberman. Yo, this is Jesse Pucci. And this is The Crazy Ones. Without further ado, I have one ask of the audience before we hop into the episode. I have great news, and the great news is that this show is on fire right now. We have the chance in February to grow downloads by 25% this month, which in the world of podcast, growth is the hardest thing. So growing by 25% when you're over six figures of downloads is pretty remarkable. It is a stretch goal we have. And the only way we can make that happen is if we mobilize all of the crazy ones and not just Jesse and I marketing this thing. So one really important ask of you all, please, if there's one way you give back to the show, do it in this way. Take one minute now or after the podcast and get one person you know to listen to the crazy ones. And because I wanted to make this as easy for you as possible, I came up with two ideas for how you can share the podcast. One, go to your family or close friend group chat, whether you have an iPhone or an Android, we we uh, don't discriminate against phone type, and you're gonna say the following. This podcast is a cheat code for entrepreneurs. When you sell your business for a billion dollars in 10 years, you can thank me with a point of equity please and thank you. That's the first thing you can do. The second thing, if you want Jesse and I to do more of the work, here's the other option. Email thecrazyones at morningbrew.com and all you need to do is in the subject line, put new listener and then CC one to 10 people that you know that you think would like the podcast. Jesse and I will take it from there and we will convince anyone who's CC'd on the email why they should give the show a try. So without further ado, thank you in advance for helping us out and let's hop into the crazy ones. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to The Crazy Ones. Uh, as always, I am joined by my co-host, Jesse Puji, and we have an awesome lineup today. First, we are going to be talking about the ever-elusive product market fit, how to find it, how to test for it, and how Jesse is looking for it within his businesses at Gateway X. And then we are going to talk about the amazing and interesting life of Richard Branson. If you only have, say, 20 minutes today and you just want to listen to one of those topics, We're going to be talking about product market fit and Jesse's businesses first. Then the Branson topics will come after. You can look at the timestamps in the show notes if you just wanted to listen to Branson, but I highly recommend you listen to what uh, Jesse has to say. So Jesse, let's hop into it. You uh, you were telling me that finding product market fit within your businesses and specifically Kahani has not been an easy task. Elaborate on just how you're thinking about things. Yeah, you know, let's take a step back. I think when people talk about product market fit, it's like a classic fancy Silicon Valley term that just means like, does the, do the customers want the, the shit that you're selling, you know, and uh, like, keep it real simple, right? And and it's like, if you're selling, uh, you know, again, ice in, in the middle of December, like you're probably not going to sell that much ice if you're standing on the corner. If you're selling ice or popsicles in the middle of July, you're going to sell a lot. And And so I think, just to, just to keep it super simple, like product market fit is a fancy way of saying, does do my customers want the product that I'm selling uh, or the market yeah. in this case, right? That's sort of the lingo. And 
it's obviously critical for any business to be successful because if the customers don't want what you're selling, you're not going to have a business. You're not going to have a small business, any business. Um, and, and of course, just like anything, right, there's certain things in our life we all demand more than others, right? One of the classic VC lingo things is, is it a painkiller or a vitamin, right? And the question there is like, if, you know, if, if you're in super amounts of pain and you have an ibuprofen or something that's going to take away the pain, that's way better than a supplement that's going to make you a little bit, you know, less fat or, or on, on your heels. And so that's a cool way of saying like, you know, how big is the problem and how much does this, this product solve the problem? Um, you know, we, we, we internally had our offsite for Connie and I think everyone on average said we thought we were six out of 10 on product market fit. And just for people who are joining the podcast for the first time, can you just quickly yeah, Kahani, uh, re-mention you know, what Kahani is? The vision for Kahani is is really to build a, a set of software tools that allow merchants to make their shopping experience on mobile much more mobile native. So you can have the stories functionality where we're going to ship a bunch of new things where you can have video really easily integrated. But the idea is, you know, the, the e-com website hasn't changed in 15 years and we're going to give all the tools to the merchants to make them. It's going to look just like TikTok and Instagram in the future. That's what the e-com experience will look like. So it's a software. It's a SaaS business. The customers are, uh, you know, $25 million plus Shopify merchants. And I could talk about how we got to even that as a part of product market fit. Uh, yep. it, it tends to focus on fashion and beauty. Those have been the two big verticals that it seems like the product works well for. Uh, but yeah, but but it's that's what Kahani is. And you know, I had this really unique experience early in my career with Ampush. You know, we were one of the first companies to integrate with Facebook's ad platform. And so we were really out in the market selling Facebook advertising. That was our pitch. And then obviously it was like, once you were bought in on Facebook advertising, it was like, we're the best, by the way, at doing it. But I got to live through multiple phases of that market. So from 2010 to 2012, Facebook didn't even have a mobile product. They didn't have a newsfeed ads. Their ads were on the right rail. You could do some hyper-targeting. Likes were the thing you sold. Like you can get lots of likes for your page. That was the first era. The second era was they launched this mobile newsfeed product. The tar- you know Things started to work really well. And man, you could put a dollar in and get $5 out. And, and it just it was this crazy period for about three or four years where there was just more demand than there was supply of anyone who could deliver any kind of services or capabilities on Facebook. And then start, things started to get a little bit commoditized and everyone kind of knew about advertising on Facebook. Then it was like, why are you different? What makes Ampush special? And so those three really distinct phases of a market. And, and in the first phase you know, people would be like, yeah, this sounds pretty interesting. They were a little skeptical. We'll, we'll give it a try later this quarter, you know, maybe next quarter. You reach back out to someone and they're like, oh yeah, we're still busy. You know, I can't, I, I can't quite get it. Uh, then we went through this period where, you know, we do we do a pitch and within five minutes of the pitch finishing and, and the call ending, we get an email going, so, so can we go live tomorrow? Right. And we were like, oh my gosh, we were just hiring and trying to solve for it. And then as, as the market petered a little bit, it was, it was, everyone wanted it. It was a little more competitive. So there was a little bit more, uh, sort of time in, in between the way we pitched it, but it was still clear that people wanted it. It was a big market. And so I had the benefit, that benefit has really taught me at least my version of what product market fit is, especially when you're selling something, which is how badly do people want it? And, you yeah. know, the Red Ventures guys taught us this little trick that is very like opposite of normal sales. Normal sales, you take a sales call, you send a follow-up email immediately. They yeah. do really big deals. And so they said, when you're doing really big deals, you don't want to pretend like a person is into it when they're not into it. You really want to make sure they want it. And so they had a little rule where they were like, wait three days for your follow-up. And what it did is it gave us the data to know, because if they didn't follow up, it was like a sign versus like the next day someone's like, you know, how big is their pain? Right. Back to that idea. And so, you know, for Kahani. Well, and just once, one second there, before you talk about Kahani with Ampush, which was your first business, again, you, you were building it for 13 years. I'm curious, did you think about things in terms of product market fit? And the reason I asked that is at least for Morning Brew, like the, the, the phrase product market fit never came across my mind. Yeah, yeah. No, it's more it just like, are, yeah, are we creating a great newsletter that people love? If we do that, we'll win. If we don't, we won't win. Like I find it, especially today in business, it seems like you're being a little bit more formulaic about it now with your businesses. It seems like people get very formulaic about, okay, are we at product market fit? Or are we not? And they obsess over this phrase. 
Yeah, to- totally. And I, and I think the that's why I kind of I said I, I don't love the lingo. And it said it's like, do my customers want to buy my product, or are they buying my product? Not do they want to? Are they actually buying it? Um, yeah. yeah, we didn't think about it at all with the ampush. Uh, the one the one slight difference maybe, and I, I don't know obviously your story in terms of if this is true or not. But one thing I, I make up is the newsletter business had been around, like, and you guys had a new sort of spin on it. Facebook advertising was completely new. I mean, it was it, it had right. not existed, and so. The one thing we were very keenly aware of, like people don't really want to buy this that bad. Like, like we did get that thing, or we we could see the arm twisting we had to do, or and and then we and then a year later it was the opposite. I mean, literally, we we're like we're raising our we're raising our minimum uh, fees <laughs> because what? we can't service all this demand, right? Well, to, well, to, well. To that point, first of all, I think when you started Ampush, you were looking for a business, right? You were looking for a business to build to get out of finance. When we were building Morning Brew in the early days, we didn't think of it as a business. It right. was a side project and a hobby, right? right? So, of course, product market fit wouldn't even be a thought because it wasn't even thought of as a business. The other interesting thing you mention in kind of these distinct periods for Ampush is, right, there's all this debate of you have the three legs of the stool of product market fit, right? You have the product, you have the team, and then you have the market. And there's all this debate of, about what's most important right. and you know, Mark Andreessen will always say that it's the market. Don Valentine, who founded Sequoia, will say the same thing. But it's funny because there's this phrase that goes, when a great team meets a lousy market, market wins. When a lousy team meets, meets a great market, market wins. And when a great team meets a great market, something special happens. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's a great phrase that people think of in a point of time. But I think what you just described with Ampush is actually like where you sit within that phrase can also evolve over time. For sure. Where... Where you, where, let's say you had a great team, originally, it seems like you were in a kind of lousy market, or not lousy, but the market wasn't a place to be great yet. And over time, you simply could do the same quality of work, but the market pulled you forward. Yeah, well, yeah, I think that's right. I also think a great market, I think a great team meets a lousy market, they switch markets. Yeah. That's the one thing, you know, and, and we kind of did that too. I don't know if you remember the or- true origin story. We were like doing lead gen for EDU. Yeah. And then we started doing this Facebook thing and we're like, oh my God, this thing is, you know, so we did the same sort of switch over that I think all great teams, if they, you know, and even a version of that's happening with Kahani right now, which I can talk a little bit more about, but um, yeah. So, so, you know, we, we've launched this software. We like, you know, I have a big network and we've been out and talking about it on Twitter. And so we have a good, you know, we had 24 meetings in January, our goal is 40. So we're not quite getting the meetings we want, which is which is a sign in of itself. Like we don't get people banging down our door to come talk to us. They know about it. I tweet about it. I talk about it. Um, and and then I think most importantly, what's happening in the meetings is everybody thinks it's super cool. Like not a single, maybe one out of those 24 went, eh, I don't think it's the right thing for us. or I don't really like it. But the 23 were like, oh, this is so smart. Yes, this is obvious. This is the way the world is moving, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yes, 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 yes. Let's do this. <laughs> And then you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to send you the documents, and you know, and uh, and and you know, the of the 23, you know, making up numbers, but like we, we converted kind of 20 of 20 percent of them, something like that. So it's not terrible. But I was going to say that feels pretty good. It feels decent, right? But a bunch of them are like, uh, oh yeah, you know, our roadmap in three months, like uh, we can't get this in, or uh, or they go they ghost us, or yeah, whatever. That there's a lot of. Um, a lot of signs that it's not the, the um, you know. People, it doesn't sound like there's urgency. They're not urgency. People aren't yeah. falling over themselves to get this. Now, a couple interesting things. One is I'm a pretty good salesman, right? So I have to be careful because I can convince people to do things. And then it's like, they may not actually want to do it, but they will, oh, Jesse's our friend. He's, you know, he's a smart guy. He'll advise us. And, and the nice thing is I have a comparison to Growth Assistant. And Growth Assistant, for those who don't remember, is uh, the talent marketplace where we help brands and agencies find uh awesome marketing talent in the philippines that business dude people would email us the next day i mean it was i need a person i needed a person yesterday and so they would be driving us to 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 get that person is the person ready yet did you did you find them and so i had the benefit of seeing that it was a couple years ago when we launched it and seeing what insane product market fit looks like when people really want it versus kahani is like yeah it's not you know it's 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 sort of it's okay and and so what do you do about it, right? I think that's the next yeah. question. And 
there there's a whole variety of things you do and and the, the reality of it is and and I, you know I've never really built software in this way or software products that I'm selling I we built internal software products at Ampush that the teams used and what's interesting is like it's hard to iterate and and you know what we learned was we were a little bit or we still are a little bit of a solution chasing a problem like one morning I woke up and I was like why don't e-commerce sites have the same functionality as Instagram that's what they should do. Let's go build that. And we built it and a bunch of people used it and liked it. And we thought, okay, this is a good idea. But there was no problem that we articulated that we were solving. And the nice thing is we're talking to a lot of customers and we're hearing from them. And it's amazing. Like in the middle of the month, there was like two very specific meetings we had and and they really gave us like, they were, they're two very different use cases for it, but they're both very clear. One is, yeah, I have all this content. It's all on social. And I, my website, I cannot have any of it on my website right now. It's, it's like really annoying. I wish I could use my content on my website. And I have all this video and I want to put it on my website. And so, boom, I, had a, I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's, that's what the problem is that people are having that we can solve. The other one was like, I want to merchandise and show all my products, you know, in a fast and easy way. Like I want to be able to show more product to people when they come on the site. And so we literally like changed the slide deck <laughs> the next week because I was like, those are two problems. And we started being more specific about that problem in the pitch. You already saw different results. So in this case, it wasn't necessarily even changing the product yet, which I'll talk about in a second. It was just like, do you actually have a problem you're solving? And are you able to articulate that problem to the customer? And do they have that problem also? Because Yeah, there, there, there's, there's so many thoughts that come from this. The first thing, just kind of high level is a lot of people think of product market fit as like this big bang event, right? Like totally. you create the product and it happens or else you don't have product market fit and you should move on to the next business, right? But it's like the way that you're describing it right now and how people should think about it is it's more like you're a scientist and you have a lot of hypotheses. You run these tests, these controlled tests, and then you see what happens. The second thing that also just comes to mind for me as you're describing, I would say like me, as Enneagram sevens, as I learned, you get very excited about an idea, right? So you got very excited about this idea that, oh my God, this is where mobile websites are going. Like they're going to TikTok and Instagram type formats. And like you said, you're also a great salesperson. What that means to me is actually, if not controlled, it makes you really dangerous within your team because of course you're going to be incredibly persuasive around things that you're super excited about, which means everyone else who's working with you is going to be super excited, right? And so how do you create an environment in which people both take in your excitement to motivate themselves, but also have the ability to step back and think through, is Jesse thinking about all of this clearly? Where can I poke holes in how he's thinking about the problem for the business? Yeah. And I add to that, by the way, if you're the boss, you're the founder and the CEO and the owner of the company, it, it becomes triply hard, right? Um, yeah. I think, I think you, that's a hard one. You have to give people, I think giving frameworks and creating criteria with which people use to evaluate things. I think surrounding yourself like our lead engineer, Adam is, he's a type eight and he's, he has no problem calling my bullshit. Like he will, he'll challenge almost everything out of my mouth, which is actually really good. As long as you can, you know, you, you're both, you trust each other and you know, you're not creating friction, uh, there, but yeah, I think it's a real, it's a real issue. Um, so what's the game plan now? You, you don't feel like you totally have product market. Yeah, fit so, so, and... so, you know, some of it is, is like now in search of the prop, like, so, so now that we flipped it from Jesse's neat idea to actually what's the problem. Now we're realizing our product doesn't have all the features it needs, right? Cause now if the problem is I need, let's, let's split the use cases for a second. Like I want to feature my, my awesome, rich mobile video content on my website in, a, in, well, I don't just want it in the stories nav bar. Right. I also want a, a vert what I call vertical carousel, which is like TikTok, where you where you flip up. I also want embedded, you know, little widgets in my site that have video. Maybe I want picture in picture on the right. Like, there, there's a whole set of ways that that customers, are, merchants in our case, want to solve this problem that we don't offer. Right, and it's like boom, yep. like it becomes really clear that you're like, oh, now that I understand the problem. Now I understand why my fit is not, you know, I'm not fully fitting in there because my product isn't built out to it. So now, you know, it's, I literally spent yesterday morning mocking up a bunch of what we call form factors for Kahani, which is the core of getting into that sort of that experience of a video or picture media and tapping is obviously similar, but 
the circles is just one way you can get there. What about carousels? What about swipe up vertical? What about all these other things? Right. And yeah. And so I think, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of the big, there's probably, there's other stuff, but for the purposes of, of this discussion, like that's probably the big aha that we've had. I think the other thing, you know, uh, which I would just share with entrepreneurs, especially people working on new stuff. And just to relate back to the Facebook example, like I also believe, and this is by the way, why raising capital has been helpful in this instance. Um, I, I believe very, very firmly that we are just a little bit ahead of the market also. Um, and what I mean by that is like, I, I think e-commerce people are busy. They're they, last year they were dealing with inventory issues and a whole host of other stuff. The website is actually kind of a forgotten asset, surprisingly, for most of these guys. But I think there's going to be the moment in the next 12 to 18 months, obviously I'm betting on it, where you're going to hear this thing going, oh my God, if you don't have e video on your e-commerce website, you're dead. You're, you are deficient. And all of a sudden, what feels like a vitamin will become a painkiller. And hopefully we'll mm -hmm. be like, you know, ha 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 ha, the master plan. Like we'll be, people will be banging down our doors to get, to get, have Kahani on their website. And well, so one other question on that, sorry, by the way, is how do you, like you, you basically said that you got to this conclusion that you had this awesome idea, but it wasn't necessarily problem first. So you got to a place where the problem wasn't painful enough for people. And now in the last few weeks, you've had problems said by clients that you identified and you're now uh, building the product towards those problems. One of the problems being like, how do we put our, our video content onto our mobile site? How do you decide when you actually aren't solving a problem versus you're in a current market that even if you have a great problem to solve, it's just the market is in a place to solve that problem. Said differently, either you're too early in the market or we're in a recession right now and people are just trying to be in kind of like hibernation mode at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't believe in the whole recession thing, right? Re yeah. Recession is recession is the economy goes down by 3% instead of up by 3%. So we go from being a 20 trillion to being a 19.5 trillion or no, 20.5 trillion. Like, it, I just, I personally just don't believe in that effect. Like, don't you think wrong. it's an excuse? Yeah, it, well, it, yeah, sure. Will, will, it, will the purchase rates be a little depressed? Yes, but if the product is, people buy stuff in recessions is my point, right? Yeah. Growth yeah, assistant yeah. hasn't slowed. I mean, growth assistant had a little period where it, it, people were clearly dealing with headcount issues, and then it, it all and then it all came back really aggressively. Um, so I, but anyway, I, I think the way you deal with it, honestly, the only good answer I have is time. Um, and so, like, you can't. The way you get it wrong is you either spend too little or too much time. You, you spend a month or two. If right now I was going, ah, oh, this is a terrible idea. Let's tear it up and move on to something. I have a million ideas, right? I have money in the bank. I could change Ghani's whole business tomorrow if I chose to. I'm the I'm the board. Yeah. I'm you know I'm so, but but if you do that, then and this is like classic type seven thing. Like you you're just you haven't given yourself enough time to fully understand are you making the right call? Then you're whining in five years, like, Oh, I had that idea. And then, you know, and somebody else built a billion dollar business for it. So I, I see entrepreneurs do that all the time. They, you know, they had the idea, but they didn't. And then the flip of that is like, you know, if I'm still doing this in three years and, and it's, I'm t giving you the same numbers and the same data points, you should punch me in the face. Right. Like I, I th that's crazy. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's, it's like a year, I think, you know, a year and a half, I think of, um, of trying, obviously, you know, that's, it's, that's way too broad a brush because you're paying attention to what's happening in the world. Internet speeds may be getting a little faster in, in, in six to nine months on mobile and e-commerce is consolidated. I mean, there's a million things that could be happening that may or may not think that the market's more ready to be there than what it is today. And I think the, it's, some of it is just like, I, from my perspective, it's a little bit like, this is obvious. Everyone says it's obvious. I think it's obvious uh it's not happening yet uh okay we're just early like it, it, it's gonna yeah this is gonna happen it's just a question of when and, and the other thing i'll add to it is you know you've heard all kinds of entrepreneur stories about this uh especially in the early internet days it's also a part of our responsibility to catalyze this like we need to be at the top of the mountain screaming about how your websites look 20 years old and they, you know, e-commerce, the video experience is broken and you'd be amazed at ultimately you're influencing maybe 5,000 people who are the executives and the owners of all these e-commerce businesses. And so it does, yeah. it's actually not that hard to get out there and convince those people 
that they that there's something the world needs to be different um yeah one thing i just want to point out by the way is like again for a first-time entrepreneur even uh, a serial entrepreneur if they feel like they haven't quite figured out product market fit a lot of people will get panicked about it because they're like shit like this whole grand plan i had like what do i do now and you seem very like seemingly calm about it and i think part of it is because your thesis hasn't really changed like the the kind of the the long distance thesis and your belief in yourself to to figure it out i think this also tie well in a few minutes when we transition into just the story of richard branson because this guy at like built 400 businesses so many of them have failed the amount of times he've he's pivoted his uh oh. ideas you can't keep track of the other thing i'll say in kind of how you're thinking about this business you, you know i'm a very visual person the way i visualize it is like you you know kahani you have is is this ship and the ship you ultimately want to get to like your destination some island and that island is a world in which mobile websites have been rejuvenated and rebuilt for the time we live in and you're the captain of the ship and your whole team is the crew that's paddling and all the information you're taking in from customers and from the market is the wind it's the waves it's right. everything that's pushing the boat and so you need to tell your crew to make adjustments and you're that's why you're standing at all times above the ship giving direction with your crew i think the biggest thing that entrepreneurs think is like your business will just succeed if you kind of let the ship start going people row and then you're sitting you know below the the totally. below the ship in your room just lounging but like you're the person who's taking in all the information to then distill it into what's most important and so like that's what you're doing totally. right now yeah and i was gonna say the reason i think i'm calm i i think is uh, yeah, there's some real reasons i have other success in other businesses and push i think like we have plenty of money in the bank at kahani so we have time which is the most important variable here but I think the other reason is I did not start this journey saying, I know the answer. And I think it's so important for any entrepreneur listening. It's like the, they, uh, they call the concept the beginner's mind. And I think yeah. there's this ton of pressure. And I see actually Adrian at Growth Assistant, she puts this on herself. And sometimes I'm like, Adrian, no one's ever had growth marketers sold it like no, why would you know this and she's like no i should have known i'm like why and so for I me th with, i think i saw her tweet something exactly along li the lines of this idea of like how do i deal with imposter syndrome as a first time ceo yeah people they flip in the other i, I need to know everything I, i'm supposed to yeah. be the expert and for me i like when we started kahani i was like i don't know what verticals this is going to work for i don't in our pitch deck by the way we raise money it says our target market is one to ten million shopify stores and then we started selling to them and realized god it's hard the product isn't quite self-serve enough and we closed a couple bigger guys and it's like these guys can leverage it they have the team to use it like we needed a person inside the content and so i didn't we didn't know right and and so i think part, that's the most important thing is like i don't know is a really powerful statement and phrase and i just like i don't know what the market's going to be I, i'm going to go learn and i'm going to do the way i learn that is i'm going to sell i'm going to see who uses it the one thing I, I i made it sound like the customers just said that this is my problem we had customers use the product, right? And the ones that have loved it have gone into those use cases. So it's not like there's people spending every day in Kahani and they're using it for those purposes, which told us that that's what the you know the problem was they were trying to solve. So it's just super important to to be like, I didn't know, I don't know, I don't know, I yeah. have no idea. And then that's what's kept me calm because I don't expect myself to have the master plan of knowing exactly which customer is going to buy my product. It's like that's why I was calling you out with the plunger thing last week. Where you're like, oh, I don't know that the our business professionals did it. I'm like, you, you have no idea. Like, just go sell it and see what happens. Yeah. And you're, you're, the market will speak back to you very fast. Um, I, I've, I have one last question for you, which is it ties into last episode where I talked about you know how to crush an investor update. As you are navigating stuff like this, that is just the reality of your business where you don't feel like you perfectly hit product market fit, you know. It could be perceived by some entrepreneur if they were experiencing it as like a weakness. How do you communicate things like this to an investor where you're fully transparent with them, but also they don't lose faith? Yeah, I, I think it's it's a it's a tricky thing. Um, I would say I would use words like, "Here's what I believe and why." Here's what I'm going to do to validate that. And, you know, here's the things that would change my mind, right? So now it's like, you don't want to go in and go, oh, I don't have any idea. I mean, I could maybe get away with that, right? Like, 
I, I didn't say that, of course, right? I had a point of, I said one to 10. And the reason is I want to figure out the product and make sure that it works for this small before I sell big. Like I had a whole story around it. And I was like, but I also have only sold this to 20 people. So, uh, you know, I reserve the right to change my mind. And yeah. uh, so, but, but for any one of us coaching someone, I would say, here's what I believe. Here's why. Here's what I'm going to do to validate it. And here's what would change my mind if, if, and you know, I'll keep you, I'll keep you abreast. So now again, someone goes, oh, this person has a point of view. They've thought deeply about the problem. They also thought so deeply about it that they know what might change their mind. And and they're also clear on what they're going to do to kind of get an answer to this. That's kind of how I would frame it. Um, yeah, that's how I'd frame it with investors. Well, and I think by doing that also, you kind of flip the narrative where actually can be perceived as a strength that you don't feel, you don't, uh, purport to to know all of the answers and you kind of show this consistent through line of you know investors can't actually expect top-notch business performance at all times but what they can expect is like critical thinking and self-awareness that will allow you to get to a point where you want to be and one of my other hacks by the way during my investor calls when people would do stuff like that i go oh what do you think (laughs) and it was the best because they they had to go well yeah i think i I think you're thinking about it the right way jesse and uh, you may want to look at this and uh, like oh okay you have no fucking idea either i I love that um okay any other thoughts on the product market fit and kahani topic before we switch gears no i I think if i were to summarize it i'd say you know you got to keep selling it's really important. You got to, you know, I, I was talking to an entrepreneur the other day who was telling me about his big plans and his product and his challenges. And I said, how many sales meetings are you getting a week? He's like, I don't know, one. I'm like, dude, this is never going to work. And you're like 100x that. You just, Well, you have to get five to 10 a week because yeah. that's the, everyone is an at-bat, right? And, yep. and so that's number one. You got to keep getting the sales meetings. Number two is you got to adjust, you know, and again, ideally build a culture of adjustment. After every sales call at Kahani, we try to end it a few minutes early and we just go quickly on Slack. What do we do well? What did we learn? What could be better? It takes two seconds to do that after a call. And next thing you know, everyone's learning and every time the pitch is getting better and better. And then when you start seeing themes, you have to go back to the product and say, you know, we got to change the product. We got to, we got to, now that we, you know, identify the problem more clearly and then adjust to make sure your product solves that problem. I love that. Um, okay. Second topic. And on, I was asleep uh, an hour ago, by the way. Just you, you, you were asleep an hour ago. I was uh, feverishly listening to a podcast on 2X <laughs> about Richard Branson to make sure I was prepared. Um, the reason we're talking about Richard Branson is uh, you hit me up, I think, two days ago being like, dude, this documentary on Richard Branson is incredible. I, I think you used the word inspiring. So, you know, just g- give me the lowdown. Man, it's so inspiring. It. it <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you why I, I can go and tell you his whole story, but let me tell you specifically why I texted you that the yeah. dude is like 70 or whatever. And he 15 years ago, he said, you know what? We've done all this stuff. Like I want to go to space. And, you know, part of it in my mind after, like I thought he was more, he is a marketing and sales guy, obviously, which I guess gets me excited. Cause I think of myself that way too. Mm-hmm. But, but like, he, he said, we're going to go to space and, you know, like, like me or you, I bet you he's a type seven. He's like, yeah, in two years, we're going to be going to space. And I don't know how you feel about this, by the way, but this is a struggle. I, not a struggle. This is a thing that I've, I've like play with in myself. Like I have no problem making very bold vision claims. And if we don't meet them, I don't care. Yeah, I don't feel sad, but like I like John, my old CEO of Ampush, used to like really get bothered when I'd say we're gonna hit fifty million, and then we'd hit thirty five. He'd be like, "Oh, that's terrible." I'm like, "Well, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Like, we're gonna hit fifty next year." Like, and so it's funny. I'm saying that because like Richard Branson was like, "We're going to space in two years." (laughs) Two years comes along. Two years comes along, and he's like, "They can't even get the plane to lift off the damn (laughs) ground." And he's like, "No, we're going to space in two years," (laughs) and he does that seven times. So for fourteen years. He talks about going into, and it's so cool because he doesn't know shit about space, but he found this guy in the middle of Nevada who has like a, who's a scientist who had done all this work. And you know what? He was steadfast in the vision and he didn't give up despite the fact that it was like people died sadly in testing this plane. I mean, there were so many pieces of it and, and then he did it. And 14 years. That's the fascinating thing, by the way, as I was like studying him and his businesses is there are 
so many businesses that he's gotten into just by definition of him being in like every category of business you could imagine. There's so many businesses where he has no expertise in the business. Like I was listening to one part of the podcast where it's about how he, because he set all these these records, these Guinness records. And one of the records that he was trying to set was, I think the longest uh, transatlantic flight, like basically having mm -hmm. a plane flying in air for the longest time. Mm -hmm. And they set the record. It was 67 hours that a plane was in air. And I, he wasn't the guy flying the plane. The, the guy was flying, whoever the pilot was, was flying the plane. But he described how like they built the plane out of this carbon fiber base that made it way more fuel efficient, where it used the same amount of fuel as a truck on the road in the US. Right. And I was thinking to myself, how the hell did he know any he of this didn't. shit? And that's, and he it, didn't. He didn't. He yeah. didn't. And and you know, I think as I think about my own dreams and my own Holdco visions, like he's not talked about in the Holdco circles as much as he. I think he should be. Totally. And and like you know, it, part of what he does is like you know, and it's like various iterations I've thought of for Gateway X or whatever. One thought I had watching it was like I need a different name than Gateway X because it's not like his is such a good brand. Um, yeah. Gateway X is like, which, by the way, did did he talk about this the story in the documentary of how it was named? <clears throat> they do in the first episode. Yeah, so I've read his book "Losing My Virginity," and just to back up, like you know the the quick story, like he's a dyslexic kid, kind of a bad kid. His mom is super tenacious and kind of this, uh, you know, whatever. He starts a student, and you know the guy's old, like he's in his seventies now, right? So yeah, in the sixties during the hippie phase, he starts this like student newspaper or whatever media just like you starts a media business and next thing you know that that paper is like the number one paper in the uk and and that turns into kind of a real business and and then he you know i, I don't know if he sold that or just didn't it ended up going away for some reason but then he he's like oh i like listening hanging out at the record store with my friends and listening to records so he starts a couple record stores and well and just just, just to add one detail to that what happened was he had it like this was he was like the OG in building your own distribution. He noticed a lot of these students who read his paper, which was called The Student, they loved music. And he even made this comment that like they were more willing to pay for music than they would like a meal. Right. And so he's like, what if we start a mail order record for people to buy records and we mail them to them and we use my newspaper as the built in advertising yeah. for that? And so it's just like it was such. That's the he's used every business as a launch point for the next business. Even yeah, it's if, like sort of like, like a version of product market fit. He just listens to customers, sees what they want, and then he's like, "Oh, yep. let's do this, let's do this." And so he starts a couple record stores, and then one day, you know, sees this like beautiful house in the country, and and it was like, you know what, we should start a recording studio. Um, and and he starts, you know, uh, he, he goes, "Yeah, let's get this recording studio." Then he's like, "Oh, some people came through, and there was a famous album called Tubular Bells." which was really his yeah. first big hit. But then from there, I mean, he had some of the biggest names in 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 rock and roll and media. Rolling Stones, Sex Pistols. Yeah, he was there producing them. And all of a sudden, like, by the way, let's take a step back. Like, uh, media is the original software. You record a song once and you can sell it a bazillion times. So all of a sudden, he starts scaling the crap out of this, this huge music business. And he eventually sells it um, and sells it for a billion plus dollars. And he has a great story in his book where he starts bawling his eyes out uh, yep. and, and he's just super sad about what, you know, what he just let go of this whole thing as baby he ran for 15 years. But from there, he just, he kept finding ways he would, he would, you know, the airline story is great. Like the story he tells was like, he, you know, it, he, there's a couple origin stories for it, but he was like stuck on an Island. He basically found a way to charter a plane and get a bunch of passengers to come with him and, and put the money together. And he's like, Oh, and he wrote Virgin airlines, like in the, like, to go from point A to point B. Well, do you know why he was stuck on the island? I learned this in the episode. He had just been to Necker Island. Oh, right. The because he had just been to Necker, which is the island, you know, that he owns now and he's known for owning. But he went to Necker because he basically was thinking about how can I get a free trip for my girlfriend and I? And so he showed interest in buying a property yep. in the Virgin Islands. So they paid for his flight. They paid for his hotel. And on Necker Island, they're like, yeah, you know, they'd be, we'd be interested in selling the island to you for $3 million. And he had offered like 150000 yeah. So when he said that, they were like, yeah, there's no interest. And he ended up going to this other island. 
the funny thing is he ended up going and buying Necker Island for, I believe, $175,000. Yeah, the, the uh, book, they're that. like, nine months later, the Lord called him back and said, <laughs> you know, I'm in dire straits. I need, I need, a, I need you to buy the island. But yeah, so he, he did that. And then, but the way he originally started it was he, you know, you could buy a plane from Boeing and it'd be hundreds of millions of dollars, or whatever. He basically got a one-year lease that he could put back to them. So he totally mitigated his costs. He built the whole thing out. And then with a big splash, he got it going. And he was solving a real problem. The airline travel was not fun. British Airways was a total monopoly that sucked at that time. And he created a totally different flying experience that then got going. So I think what was so inspiring, I mean, like all these things we're talking about, these stories are obviously, for any entrepreneur, they're really exciting. The, The thing for me was like, he really knows what he's great at. He leans into his zones of genius. It's super clear, right? He doesn't necessarily control everything. He has a stake and he sort of like uses the best of himself. He puts the right operators in place. He puts the right expertise in place. But the coolest thing was the guy's like 70 and he's still ambitiously trying to accomplish things. And I just thought like how wonderful, like how cool, like they have the, the, the documentary's got like his grandkids are on the island with him. His, his kids are there. Like he's there with his family. And then he's like, okay, what's, what's going to happen with the launch? Like, you know, what's, how are we going about this? And he poured, apparently, I mean, according to the documentary, he poured a billion dollars of his own money into Virgin Galactic. Um, and there's no reason you do that other than, like, you really want that thing to happen and exist in the world, and, you you know, you're really excited and passionate about it. And so it, it, it just got me really inspired, going, man, this guy's been at it for, you know, 30 more years than I have already, and he's still willing to go. And, dude, 14 years... Like I just said, eighteen months about about product market fit. This guy, two years, like we're gonna go. You know, oh, we're not there. We're gonna go. And by the way, that's how vision works. Just so everybody knows, if you really care or truly feel passionately about a vision, it doesn't matter if you didn't accomplish it two years. That just means you haven't gotten to the vision yet. You keep going for something like that. But I just, I mean, I'm not sure I would do that. I'm not sure most people I know would do that. But he just kept going for fourteen years until they, uh, until yeah. they actually got the thing to go, go to space. Well. That's the thing also about like even using um, Virgin Airlines, like everyone, all of his close confidants were like, you're an absolute idiot for starting this business. Like it's a horrible business. It's fully consolidated, all of these things. And I feel like the through line to his career is he just like, he really tries to have as much fun as possible. And so if you look at his decisions through the lens of optimizing for fun, uh, it actually makes a lot of sense. Like he's just done really cool shit. If you look at it through the opti- the the per- the lens of optimization for money, it makes no sense. Some of the decisions oh, yeah. that that he's made, and um, yeah, I think you know there's so many incredible lessons to just learn from him. Obviously, one that we mentioned before is this guy has zero concern about failure with his businesses, like. There are so many businesses that he's launched you have no idea about. Virgin Cosmetics, Virgin Brides. Virgin Cola, Virgin, dude. Virgin, Virgin Cola is the Virgin Cola. ever. Yeah, totally. And and I think part of it, why is he open to doing this? Partially, he doesn't view these things as failures. He knows that it's just it's a game of taking a lot of at-bats and being smart about seeing opportunities. I think the other thing is the really smart way in, in um, the, the podcast I listened to, it kind of talked about his view of his Holdco. And I, I'm trying to find the name of it. He basically calls it like a, a branded conglomerate or – oh, it's branded venture capital. And basically the way that he's done a lot of these businesses is he's like, I like small businesses way bigger, way more than I like big businesses. And I'm going to take all these big swings and I'm going to try to find every way possible to mitigate my downside. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to find entrepreneurs who have a specific area of expertise – I'm going to go 50-50 in a partnership with them so that they have a ton of upside. I'm going to fund the business and then I'm going to let them go off to the races and they're going to leverage the Virgin name. And so these 400 businesses, right? Like he has not been operating these 400, but it's just the combination of having a vision, finding a great entrepreneur. And now with all these businesses, he's diversified his revenue so much Because he has all these companies. And I I think the other thing that, like, again, I aspire to be this as a part of, this is one of the reasons we did raise money for Kahani is like, I, I, as much as I talk about bootstrapping, and I think that's a mindset, by the way, which I will always retain and want to always retain. There is, the capital markets are just another market that you, as a company, you want to be able to participate in in smart ways. With, With, you know, with Unbloat, we're using all this debt capital and we've raised, you know, venture, like, 
I want to have that touch where someone goes, no, no, Jesse's around it. Jesse's involved in that. He's one of the owners. Like, yeah, he's, don't worry. He's figured it out. Like the person he's put in charge is probably the right person and we should back that. And cause he also is leveraging, you know, he's spacked Virgin Galactic. He, he's clearly raising money for these things or, or the guy, the guy or girl running the business is raising money. And that's part of being successful and taking lots of swings is you have to have access to that, the, those capital markets and and I think that's all part of the equation for doing what he's doing, right? So he has the yeah. brand. He has this unfair advantage of his sales and marketing. He himself is a very keen and and shrewd entrepreneur. And then he partners with the expertise of people and different things. But then he also gets access to capital so that he, you know, I'm sure he puts a lot of his own money into all of these things. But then he also, uh, he's obviously leveraging third-party capital. He has to be. There's no way you, the, the Virgin Galactic raised, I don't know, $800 million during the SPAC process. Totally. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that's the one time I've seen him in real life is I saw him on the day that uh, uh, Virgin Galactic went public um, at the New York Stock Exchange. He was outside with his whole team dressed in his spacesuit. That's the only time I've seen Richard Branson in person. And just like to see, again, a 72-year-old just like that filled with energy that yeah, late in life. he's doing what he it's loves. Like, you know, it's, and it's like Warren Buffett. Like Warren – like. Even like Rick Elias, like these people who are not, they're no longer optimizing for expected value. They're optimizing for their own personal fulfillment and enjoyment and they're being themselves and they're unapologetically. And I think as, even as you and I are youngish, I'm young, you know, still, you know, for me, it's even less than it comes up for you where I'm like, I don't care if they like, I don't want to do the math equation. Is this, oh, should I spend my time this way? Is it better to focus? Is it better? It's like, no, I just want to be me. And I want to do the things that I, that I believe we're gonna, I'm going to have fun with. And I think I'll have success as a byproduct by that. And I think that flip is a really, really important flip for every entrepreneur. Yeah. And, and what I'll say also is like, as I, as I listen to these podcasts, and by the way, just to give a shout out, uh, the two of the podcasts I listen to are the Founders Podcast, um, which is a great podcast. This guy, David, reads autobiographies and biographies weekly, and then he summarizes them. So oh, yeah, it, it yeah, was, that's owned by Colossus, uh, Patrick. Exactly, exactly. So it was super helpful. But to me, as I listened to this, it made me just want to read the full books more because I think it made me feel kind of like a little bit more understood in a way. Like, you know, I've always viewed myself as this person who is very ADD and like distractible and all these things. and. Yeah always thought like that is going to be the thing that doesn't allow me to be successful in business. And by looking at this guy's story, like he showed, he has literally provided the playbook for how you can create infrastructure and like a framework in your life to both to kind of like have your cake and eat it too, where like you can work on a lot of things, but also not dilute yourself. And the second thing I'll say is we talked about this, um, you know, last long form episode about the, the plunge that my, uh, axe throwing inspired backyard game where like you're like that's cute alex you're doing a kickstarter and you've spent twelve thousand dollars and and there is a part of like the scrappiness that i love no matter what business i start but also i think one of the things that separates him is like he really is willing to take big swings and he does have a thoughtfulness around mitigating risk and so for me it pushes me to think about how do i like how do i take risk but also and mitigate the downside but like do so in a balanced way because I think if we looked at what I'm doing with the backyard game right now, it's probably a little bit too tilted in the the downside mitigation part and not the like taking the big swing part. One last thing I'll just say about- Hold on, hold on. Richard, it makes me yeah. really happy to hear you say that because I think as is you know my, my little brother, you're my little brother in a lot of this, like the type seven thing, like it, it is, it, I've had my own struggles of like, no, why am I like that? Like, no, that's going to be a problem for me. Totally. That that's bad, bad Jesse. Focus, focus that <laughs> Jesse, right? And I do think that the answer is, and I'm gonna send you this link, but like there's a really healthy version of the type seven where they're aware of this tendency and they manage around it and you create structures that support it. And you see, Rick has done it, you know, I'm trying to do it now. Obviously, Richard Branson has done it. And it'll be more not only will I think you be more effective, but you will be much more fulfilled and, yeah. and happy. And I think that's versus like constantly being in this inner battle of like, oh, am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? Uh, and on the plunge, you know, <laughs> I mean, dude, like, like honestly, the the one way you mitigate risk is hustling. Like, you know, if you were, let, let's paint the picture of you go through the three big marketing tactics. You run Facebook ads, you do yep. Kickstarter and you do some other uh, you know, TikTok organic. Yeah. Nobody buys the thing. Fucking sucks. You have a thousand <laughs> of these things sitting in a warehouse. Yeah. Like, 
you just have a plan for that. Like you're going to do totally. a tax write-off and you're going to save money on taxes. You're going to, you're going to go sell them to gyms, you know, or school. Like there, there, there'd be a way to basically limit the downside of that meaningfully. You just have to think it, think it through. Yeah, and, it requires some creativity. Yeah, exactly. And, and some hustle, I think. And, and so once you get comfortable with that, then yeah, go all in, man. Like, like and I think this thing will work again. I don't know if it's going to be a $5 million yeah. business or a $50 million business, but I think it'll, people will buy it. It's a cool idea. And, I, I agree with you. And by the way, I think in brands and fashion, I think doing this will give me other ideas as well. And uh, beyond his like sales and marketing prowess, like the other superpower that I just want to mention about Richard Branson is I think he is the perfect example of kind of turning this switch in your mentality of being great at identifying problems and opportunities, like taking your brain off of the autopilot of just accepting things in life. Like every business was a function of him being like, oh, this flight experience to Puerto Rico fucking sucks. My flight's canceled. Why don't I create my own plane? Why don't I get a board and say that I'm selling seats for $39? Oh, I have a record label now. Most most record labels won't make a lot of money because they have to pay for uh, the marketing and distribution in the UK. Oh, I have marketing and distribution, so now that I can make profit from that. So I, we should even do an upcoming episode on like how to identify uh, interesting opportunities or markets or how to take your brain off autopilot. But I think the perfect balance is both being like a a lifelong optimist, but also knowing how to switch your brain to to like really feel and identify when something doesn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. Or just spot opportunity. Like to me, I just see things and I'm like, Oh, there's an opportunity that there's, you know, that doesn't seem yeah. Maybe it's the same thing you're saying, but it's like, I think of it as spotting opportunity. I think the other thing is I've made, you know, I wanted to do this at Ampush and, and you know, in my, my wildest dreams, I figured it out at Ampush. I didn't obviously. Right. I, but the mistake I made was I was still trying to do this while operating Ampush. So talk about the type seven, and uh yeah and and that was a mistake like i couldn't do both i couldn't take the client meetings and make sure we were pacing our revenue correctly while also trying to like get new things off the ground and so that's just an important part of this which is just again knowing being honest with yourself and knowing what you're doing there's nothing wrong if you're running the business you're running the business there's nothing wrong with that but don't also try to do those other things because that's not going to work and vice versa um if you're not running you know if you're not running the business you have to find the right people and surround yourself with the right people who will do it. I love it. I think that's a perfect uh, place to end the episode. As always, uh, love these conversations. As, and as always, super grateful for all of the crazy ones that uh, listen to the show week in and week out. As I mentioned, if you could help us hit 25% growth on the podcast month over month, it would be massive. Send a text to your group, uh, your family or friend group text. Shoot an email to us saying new friend and CC them and we'll do the heavy lifting of selling them on why they should uh, listen to the show. Jesse, anything else before we sign off? No, let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.